Welcome back to Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This series is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. ArtUK.org is the domain. Sharing the nation's art is our game. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We even have a Tumblr full of lovely art gifts. Our handle for everything is ArtUK.org, spelling out the word dot. If you can visualize the title sequence for Alfred Hitchcock's television series, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, you may recall that the show opened with a sketch of the director that he drew himself. What comes to mind when you think of Hitchcock? Is it his iconic films? His status as a master of suspense? What about his love of art and design? His interest in art began when he was just a teenager. And he, he started attending art classes when he was, I think, 17, 18 years old. That's when he started, you know, really haunting, you know, the museums in London. That's Joel Guns, writer and self-proclaimed Alfred Hitchcock geek who runs the blog called, you guessed it, alfredhitchcockgeek.com. His first job, his, uh, the family plan was for him to become an electrical engineer. So he got in with an electrical company and uh, his very first job was clerical, but immediately everybody saw that he was a creative mindset. So they, uh, they moved him over to the advertising department. So his first real job was as a graphic designer in the ad department. And then his first job in film was also as a graphic designer. So this is the silent era. And um, he made a, uh, put together a portfolio of, of dialogue title cards that would be used in the movies. They were so well executed that they, they loved his work, but the, the film that he was applying for got canceled. But as soon as there was an opening, they brought him in. He rose up through the ranks as an art director um, before he became uh, an assistant director and then a director. So uh, he could draw. He always you know, thought of his films in terms of art and in, in filling the frame the way a painter would. And, and so it's sort of, um, it's a foregone conclusion then that he would also have a pretty deep interest in, in fine art. Joel told me that he first became interested in Hitchcock as a teenager, and his admiration grew as he watched documentaries and read biographies of the director. He's written several pieces on Hitchcock's deep connection with art, and I wanted to know how he first encountered this relationship. So 1999, it was the uh, 100th anniversary of his birth, and so there's a lot of stuff going on, and the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts uh, put on a, a show called Hitchcock and Art Fatal Coincidences, and um, the purpose of the show was to demonstrate his, his relationship to art, and, uh, and so that as you walked through the, the galleries of the museum, they would have film, you know, movie stills next to paintings that had uh, either influenced that scene or just demonstrated an interesting correspondence. And that was really when, you know, Hitchcock and art became, you know, it was really crystallized in my mind that he was part of the 20th century art movement in a, in a profound way. So, I mean, film is obviously a very visual and creative art form in itself. Um, but could you talk about maybe his relationship with fine art, because I know that there are some really specific connections there, aren't there? Yeah. So um, he, well, first of all, his, he had this, just an enormous art collection. His house was a museum. He owned a Rewalt, 
Rodin drawing, several Utrillos, um, a Picasso, later turned out to be fake, but uh, that was his intent anyway. <laughs> um, uh, Vlaminque, Kansutine, and, um, and so, and his collection was very intentional. And the, the, the paintings and drawings that he and his wife uh, chose either were like physically were used in his movies. They, they were, he donated them, you know, to the movie as a prop. And um, on the other hand, he was also drawing inspiration from these paintings for, for his own personal, you know, kind of storytelling style. So a good example of that is um, he had several Thomas Rollinson uh, watercolors and, and sketches. And uh, of course he was a British uh, cartoonist from the 19th century. And, you know, his, his point of view and, and particular kind of humor meshed perfectly with, with Hitchcock's. In what way? Uh, well, his, his, the, the artist, his, his interest was in just displaying London life in all of its sort of everyday, very common glory. And so it's just people hanging out in the, in the kitchen talking and then you know there would be a witticism uh, you know written as a caption below the cartoon yeah. and um and that was uh most definitely you can see that showing up especially in hitchcock's british films so if you think of the lodger and so many of the key scenes in that film take place in the kitchen with mom and dad and daisy you know just sort of talking and and cooking and and hanging out and that might seem, you know, kind of commonplace today, but in, you know, the British filmmaking scene in the, in the 20s, most films were about, you know, people living an upper crust uh, life. And, um, you know, Hitch actually wrote a manifesto saying that, no, he wanted to portray the real life of Londoners, which is a little bit more lower caste and a little bit more unbuttoned. Mm -hmm. And so I, th I think that's very much like he was a kindred spirit with Rollinson in that regard. That idea of realism and representing everyday life in film ties to another artist and contemporary of Hitchcock, Edward Hopper. Hopper had a penchant for going to the cinema, and it's been observed that his paintings have a cinematic quality in content and aspect ratio. Hitchcock wanted to tap into the eerie loneliness of a Hopper painting in his own stories, and there are many side-by-side -side comparisons that can be made between their work. The, the Psycho House, the, uh, the Bates Mansion, is uh, modeled in part on a house by a railroad, uh, Edward Hopper's famous painting. And um, Anthony Perkins himself sort of conceived of himself as a Hopper painting as he was developing the character. And so he had these conversations with Joseph Stefano, the screenwriter, about, you know, what that means and, and, and what that's like to sort of be a character in, in a Hopper painting. Interesting. So there is a very direct connection. Absolutely. There. Absolutely. And what about his relationship to clay? Because I know he, um, he purchased a clay work. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, could you talk a bit about? Yeah, he actually owns several, three or four. And um, so the uh, I would I would say that of all the artists that he was really passionately interested in, Paul Clay was probably his his spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> so they they never met. Uh, Clay died in 1940, and uh, you know, and that was uh, just about the time that Hitchcock was coming to America. But they both share the same uh, outlook. 
And when you stop and think about it, there, the, the feeling that you get from a lot of plays paintings is both, this is easy to get. If not, I could make that painting myself. His work is really accessible. And mm-hmm. then um, they, they're very time-based as well. So a lot of them, if you think of like Twittering machine, when you first look at it, it seems sort of like a, like a cartoon, a humor piece. It looks funny and childlike. And then the longer you look at it, uh, details start to emerge that this is actually, um, you know, a very kind of a dark scene. Maybe the story you tell yourself about it is that there are birds that have been trapped or somehow transmogrified into this machine. And it can be sort of anxiety provoking the longer you look at it. And um, so that same sort of spirit of, of whimsy and humor and the line between humor and the macabre, those are all, that's the fabric of, of Hitch's storytelling as, as well. And do you think he was actively informed by the work of Clay either? You know, do you, do you think he was absorbing those sorts of things and, and putting it into his work? Ab- absolutely. So he uh, frequently told interviewers that his favorite artist was Clay and, um, and that he liked that sort of um, artifice that doesn't look like artifice. He said that, you know, explicitly. So, um, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that, that Hitchcock was very much had Clay on the mind. One artist Hitchcock had a direct working relationship with was Salvador Dali. His work is quite different from the serene scenes of Hopper, but Joel told me about how Hitchcock and Dali worked together to create a surreal brand of suspense. He was a surrealist, and Hitch himself was a surrealist as well. And, um, and of course, his 1945 movie, Spellbound, uh, the dream sequences were, were painted and created by, by, by Dali. So that's a very obvious connection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but then you see these little Dalian touches throughout his films. So uh, in Psycho, there's, there's a scene where um, Marion Crane's sister w- goes up into the mansion. She, she walks into Mrs. Bates' uh, bedroom, and there's this impression of, of a bed, of, of a body, rather, on the bed. And it looks very strange. It's a very sort of uncanny, surreal moment. Mm. And that image uh, is almost a recreation of a, do- of a couple of Dali paintings that show the, the body of an invisible woman laying upon a bed and what that might, you know, what that looks like. Want more artistic influences? Let's take a look at a painting by Edvard Munch. So uh, Edvard Munch, uh, this is a really good example of, of Hitch's um, kind of how his mind worked. So the birds was inspired, the, the visual design was overtly inspired by Munch's The Scream. And um, his art director, Albert Whitlock, had actually, and um, uh, Robert Burks, his cinematographer, they actually had these, these conversations of, about what that would mean if this were a monk painting sort of brought to life. So there are several shots that actually ape the screen, but even like the mood of, of the paintings. So you've got the, you know, you picture the painting in your mind's eye and on the left-hand side, you see land and on the right, you see water. Mm-hmm. You have that sulfury, sulfurous brooding sky. And then of course, our, the screaming person who's, is, is that person terrified by what they see or by what they're running from 
Yeah. And then the th- third element of that painting is that it's a deeply subjective painting. A lot of people don't pick up on this, but there are three figures in the background that seem to be going about their ordinary business. And, and yet here's this screaming wraith who uh, seems to be terrified by everything around him or her. And yeah. um, so we don't, it's, it's a very personal experience. It, the entire scene is an expression of what's going on inside their head, not necessarily in their environment. So then we go over to, to the birds. And, um, and yes, it's, it's set on Bodega Bay, which is, you know, half the movie, you know, half on land, half on water. And um, uh, there's a lot of screaming that goes on. That's kind of obvious. But the, the, the story of, of Tippi Hedren's character, Melanie Daniels, as she goes through, it, it is as if the bird attacks are emblematic of her own internal life and, and the, in the inner life of the characters that she comes in contact with. So in that sense, the whole film is very much uh, a filmic expression of, of, the, of the German romantic expressionism of, of Edvard Munch. Hey, wait. Okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe putting, a little, maybe putting a little more simply. So the painting is, is an expression of the, of the interior life of, of that character, of the screamer. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and the birds, the, the bird attacks are likewise uh, can be seen as an expression or a manifestation of the inner life of the characters in the film. I was still a bit lost, so I asked Joel to unpack this connection with German Expressionism a bit more. Hitchcock himself was very much rooted in German Expressionist filmmaking. So way back when, when he was still an art director, an assistant director, um, he was sent uh, to go work on films in, in Germany, in Berlin, at Ufa Studios. At the time, Germany was the Hollywood to the world. It was actually a bigger industry than America's Hollywood. Mm. And while he was there, he saw, um, you know, F.W. Murnau at work. Uh, he visited the set of the Nibelungen uh, uh, saga directed by Fritz Lang. He met these guys, and he was absolutely free. The rest of his life, he said, that that made his, a bigger impression on him than any maybe other single event. And, and so the, when you think of the expressionism of, of the early German, of the silent films, um, and how the set design and the lighting and so forth were all designed to express the inner life of the characters in the movie. Hitch carried that with him. And so, you know, that, that expressionist, you know, impulse played out in, in film after film, I mean, throughout. So the birds is, is just one prime example of that. You may know that Hitchcock worked with the incomparable Saul Bass on some of his iconic title sequences. Hitchcock began his own film career as a title card designer, so design was important to him from the very start. Joel spoke to me about how much design thinking was woven throughout the planning and filming of scenes. Because Hitch himself was a graphic designer, he had, you know, he had a soft spot for that, for that discipline. And before there was Saul Bass, there was McKnight Kaufer, 
and um, alert listeners will recognize him as uh, as a British designer in the 20s, who at the time was considered to be, uh, he was once dubbed the Picasso of advertising art. Oh. And, uh, and he was a big deal. People don't really think about him much anymore. But, uh, but at the time, he was, yeah, he was hot stuff. And um, he helped save Hitch's breakout film, uh, The Lodger. And, uh, and he did all of the intro title designs for sure in some of the uh, dialogue title cards throughout the movie, if not all of them. And, and he was just very much, you know, a modernist. He broke a lot of rules and created new ones about how posters ought to be designed, um, influences that we can see in poster design to this day. So he was hugely in- influential. So, so there's a love triangle in the film between uh, Daisy, the lodger, and, and her suitor, who's also a cop. And so that, that triangle is expressed in the, in the movie. So the Avenger, the, the serial killer, he leaves his mark on all of his victims uh, at, in the form of a hand-drawn triangle. And um, then uh, triangles show up in other, other places in the movie as well. So, so that triangle was, Kaufer's insight was to take that, that idea and, and foreground it. So you see it in, in the titles and in the intro uh, sequence. And that's so smart because then you're on the lookout for it throughout. You're on the lookout for it. And it becomes a sort of, it elevates what could be just, just a symbol or just a a thing. It elevates it to um, the level of a visual design. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was 1927. Then we flash forward to the late fifties, early sixties and Saul Bass, who did work on three Hitchcock films, Vertigo, North by Northwest and Psycho. And, uh, you know, Hitch, you know, glommed onto him and, and used Bass not just to, actually the only poster he designed was for Vertigo, uh, the other, mm-hmm. not the other two films, but he did the opening title sequences for those three. And, and the visual uh, motifs that he established in those, for example, in Vertigo, the spirals coming out of that woman's eyes, that spiral mm-hmm. motif is played out, of course, throughout the film, like in the, you know, looking down the stairwell and so forth. So Hitch was he conceived of his films as a, as an act of graphic art or as an, or as a, an execution of a of graphic art. So he worked with the best who was Saul Bass at the time. And, uh, and his collaboration ran so deep that uh, Saul Bass actually, um, he storyboarded the murder in the shower in psycho. Um, he also directed uh, the death of, of the, of the detective, uh, the second murder of the film. Now that is interesting. Yeah, so Hitch Hitch really like brought him brought him close, and um, unfortunately he he directed that scene. Hitch saw the rushes and had to reshoot it, but but it does show the trust that he had put in Bass. It well, it, and it also shows how um, you know the the titles or the um, the the poster in the case of vertigo it's not an afterthought it was it was all very much thought about as a part of the process of making the film which is really interesting. yeah extremely integrated so yeah like in psycho so you have those uh you know the titles come out and they sort of stab into the screen and they come in horizontally and then the mm. uh and then the title of the film the word psycho it splits and it wiggles back and forth and and sort of it visually suggests you know norman bates on schizophrenic splits and and moments but but also even like the horizontality of the titles 
moving into the scene and those stripes that, that follow the titles in and out, that's a, that's a motif that's repeated throughout the film, either horizontally or then in the great disruption of the shower scene, then uh, that motif is vertical in the form of the, uh, the shower curtain with its vertical, vertical lines. We could spend all day just talking about that one movie and how Solbass's, how his title design became a sort of, you can say a mood board for the rest of the film. Well, it's, it's almost hard to imagine which came first yeah. in some cases. Was it the, the, the title design or the, um, the, the mood board for the scene? Yeah, well, yeah, and it's a couple of things. Like people say that, well, Hitchcock gets all the credit for all the ideas. Not so. He really gave people a free hand to come up with these ideas, and he brought them to the table early. So movies are usually made, you know, uh, the, uh, the writer and the director get together and, and they, they make the movie on paper. Then they bring in mm -hmm. art directors and producers and so forth to figure out how, what they're going to do with it. But in Hitch's case, he was actually bringing his art directors and others, his cinematographer in right into those story conferences. And so they were actually helping to write the movie. I, I read a quote um, in, in one of the uh, pieces you wrote about his relationship to Clay, and Hitchcock refers to himself as an abstract painter. Yeah. And this process sounds very abstract in a way because there's not um, there's not necessarily pieces to inform the other piece yet. It's it's all happening at once. The kind of creation of um, the films it sounds like. Yeah. So it's really interesting because each piece sounds like it's guiding the next piece along. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Hitchcock worked with abstract expressionist John Farron in a similar way to Saul Bass to design a dream sequence in Vertigo, and also commissioned paintings from the artist to feature in scenes. This is yet another way that the director worked to incorporate art throughout his films. I think he's a Spanish artist, Fidelio Ponce de Leon, and mm. he uh, had shown one of his oil paintings called Five Women, and it's the, uh, a group of women that it's, it's sort of a, almost a black and white, very monochromatic painting, and they look very sort of death-like and, and ethereal. And that painting, he used it, it's, it's a centerpiece in his film Rope. He featured that painting in, his, in the film? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And people stop and they look at it. I mean, it's, he sort of draws attention to it. And, um, it, you know, that movie is, it's a very, it's a very ghoulish movie. It's about death and these, mm. you know, two men, young men who, who kill someone and then uh, serve dinner from basically the coffin where he's been ensconced and they invite his friends and family over. So there's this sort of deathly pall that Yikes. hangs over the movie, right? <laughs> and um, and so that painting is sort of of a piece of the of the mentality or the the sort of perspective of the film. So these um, his relationship with art it it was more than just that's a pretty picture. I think I'll copy that. He was really grokking the meaning of these paintings and 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 internalizing them, and then in turn repurposing it, you know, for his his own art. Yeah, it, it's very intentional, and it says a lot about his awareness of art and the history of art to to want that to be there to inform the scene. My goodness, when I first had an interest in this topic, I didn't realize quite how deep it went. As usual, I was left with one question. So this is the question I have probably every episode, <laughs> which is, um, 
what is the point of doing this? I'm always curious. And the answer is always a little different. You know, what is, why would Hitchcock want to make these, thread these art references throughout his, his work? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. One is, um, you know, he got his start in, in the silent film era when there just weren't a lot of great movies to look at, to get inspired by. So if you aspire to be an artist, you're going to have to go outside of that medium to get, to get ideas. And then on another level, uh, he, he very much lived an artist's life. And um, so I, what I mean by that is the boundaries between just his daily life and art were, were very much blurred. So he lived, you know, he ate, drank, and slept filmmaking in the movies. And, and then he amassed this art collection. And, and I, I think it was part of a larger strategy to sort of become his, his films so that in the writing and, and producing of them, uh, they would come from a very deep personal space. Well, it seems like a very dark way to live considering the types of films he made. Well, that's where it gets... Uh, Fascinating because by all accounts, he was, you know, uh, he made these dark films, and, but he lived a pretty normal family life. His daughter insists that, you know, he, when he was at the studio, he'd leave at seven in the morning and come home at six or whatever. And the, and, and the films are, there's, yes, a lot of darkness in them. Uh, murder and and, uh, you know, transgression is what gets people into the theater. But then when you think about his films, there's also a lot of, a lot of heart. Uh, there's a lot of comedy. And uh, they always end on a note of ambivalent hopefulness. Many thanks to my guest Joel Guns for sharing his incredible Hitchcock knowledge with us. Believe it or not, there's actually a lot more that you can read on this topic over on his blog, alfredhitchcockgeek.com. He also has a project called Freak the Geek, where you can challenge him to find an Alfred Hitchcock connection to any film. Over on artuk.org, I'll be sharing images related to this episode, and you can also dive into other stories, past episodes, and artworks from across the UK. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to this series, and please join us again next time. <laughs>